This is the Christian Heritage London podcast from London. Well, it's a great privilege to be sitting here with none other than Alan Ebenezer, the first headmaster I've had on the show all day. <laughs> How are you, Alan? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. Now, Alan, with a name like Alan Ebenezer, I imagine you didn't originally come from London. No, so originally I'm from a place called Ebervale in the South Wales Valleys, and we moved to London about eight years ago. And you are the headmaster of Fulham Boys School. Actually, the executive headmaster of the Fulham Boys School now. Uh-huh. My job has changed in the last 12 months, but I was the founding headmaster of the school, yeah. And that was eight years ago? Uh, yeah, so I, w- I took a post eight years ago. I had one year setting the school up, and then uh, the boys came the following year. Now, were you from a believing family? Yes, my dad's a minister, uh, and so we were brought up in a Christian home. We went to church three times on a Sunday, went into children's meetings in the week. Yeah, it was our life. You know, we had a a kind of plaque in our front room which said, Christ is the head of this house, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. So it it was our life. And how did you come to understand the gospel yourself? I've never doubted that there's a God. I've never doubted that I'm a sinner. I, I, I believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross. My problem was I couldn't believe that he died for me. Mm. When I was 14, um, I came out of deep conviction of sin for probably 18 months. And I would pray and I would write my sins on a piece of paper because I didn't want to forget any, uh, but I never felt forgiven. And also I couldn't live the life. I loved school. I loved my mates. I loved sport. I loved having a good time. And I couldn't live the life and I couldn't feel forgiven. And then when I got the sixth form, I sort of went off the rails, going to trendy sixth form parties and doing what all 16, 17-year-old boys do, really. I remember one in particular, waking up the day before New Year's Eve and a, a bit hungover, thinking, wow, if I, if I was to die now, I would wake up in a lost eternity. And um, I, I don't know when I became a Christian exactly, but I think that was a bit of a turning point. I remember being in church listening to my dad preach and it i thought this means this is i'm dead to this if this is real then you have to come to me and i went to university i came down i didn't do any work i was i was one of those i was i was in top sets for everything and i thought i was one of these people who was really bright and didn't have to do any work i wasn't one of those people okay <laughs> and so i came down on my A-levels. i want to go to london i want to go to king's college london i came down on my a-levels and phoned King's College and said, these are my results, can I come? And I, they pretty much laughed on the phone. I phoned Aberystwyth and said, these are my grades, can I come and do a degree? And they said, not really. And I said, oh, go on, please. And they went, okay, go on then. So I went to Aberystwyth University. And that was a turning point, really, because I think I then had to think, right, okay, if these things are real, I have to do something about this. My other problem was I struggled with the doctrine of predestination, hmm. hugely. Not the unfairness of it, just that if God chose people, why would he choose me? With all my privileges, growing up in a gospel home, heard the greatest, finest preachers of the day, had access to all these books, and yet threw it back in his face. And I knew in my heart I was just a a horrible little sinner, really. Why would he choose me? And I think I came to this realisation that it's not about what I feel, it's about taking God at his word. And if he says, if you confess your sins... I'll be faithful and just to forgive your sins. I trust him. So I became a Christian just before I went to university, I guess, although I don't really know exactly when, because I think it's been gradual. You learn lots of things. I became the president of the Christian Union I with. But I would say in my 46 years, 
I have had ups and downs. I think my personality, the text I would, I, I was, would sum up to myself would be the one where the Lord Jesus Christ says to Peter, Satan desires you, but I've prayed for you. And I think that would be my testimony, really, wow. that, that, you know, with, with the kind of, my kind of personality, if you like, and the way I am, Satan desires you, but there's a man in heaven who prays for me. <laughs> and so the ups and downs and, and all of that, really. That's outstanding, isn't it? Because it, it, it's that's the, the great gospel that we have. We are uh, trying to reach the Muslims in in uh, area in East London. Of course, they don't have that. They don't have that hope. It's in the dark. You know, I don't. I hope I've done enough. Good. And the great news we have is sinner saved by grace. Mm-hmm. You know, by grace are you saved through mm-hmm. faith. We walk through the city in uh, on our walks, and there's a statue outside St Paul's Cathedral of. John Wesley, at the bottom it says, by grace are you saved mm. through faith. And you think, he just believed that. Well, he must have been totally ineffective. No, he changed the world. <laughs> so uh, so what happened? People who believe that changed the world. It doesn't make sense. Mm. It doesn't make sense. Except it hinges at a man who said it. And he says, if you abide in me, I'll make you fruitful. And that's you keep finding that. You keep finding people who say, oh, I just, uh, it's not me. It's not me. <laughs> They're the ones... That's superb. And um, now you are the head teacher of Fulham Boys School. Now, I, I'm i not going to sing the praises of the school as much as I'd like to, because I, I couldn't list them all. But the Fulham Boys School has a reputation for things which, again, sound simply to be common sense, <laughs> such as uh, respect, such as discipline, and such as uh, an involvement in the lives of the boys. And also there's a that seems to be motivated by a gospel priority. Can you speak to that a little? Yeah, I, the way I came to London was quite incredible, really, because I was we we lived in Cardiff, and we had quite an idyllic life, really. And we were members of the Heath Evangelical Church in Cardiff. We were quite active in the church. I lived literally ten minutes from my school. My wife worked in a school; she could be there in five minutes, and my son could walk to his school in literally six or seven minutes. All our family around us, all our friends, it was just idyllic. I just landed what I thought was my dream job, deputy head of a large school in Cardiff, and it was great. And then eight months into being the deputy head of this school, this job came up in London to set up a school from scratch, geared towards boys, built on the Christian faith and nurtures enterprise. Now, my wife is Cardiff-born and Cardiff-bred, and when she dies, she's Cardiff-dead. She went to Bath University for three years, but she absolutely loves Cardiff. And I was a young deputy, and um, I, I, I just felt compelled to apply, apply for this job. And I said to my head, I've only been here eight months. And she said, it's a great opportunity, you've got to go for it. But no one thought I was going to get it. No one thought I was going to get it. And I applied for the job and got an interview. My wife was heartbroken. She didn't want to go to London. Uh, my son said to me, Dad, what are you doing? You know, he was eight. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> and I got her the first day, and I think my head was wow, this might happen now. So she was like, you can't go. And then she said, no, I can't stop you. And so I went to the second day and I was on the train to the interview and I I almost got off the train. I thought, I can't do this. And something said, you've got to stay on the train. So I stayed on the train and uh, went for the interview and the chair of governors was there and the vice chair of governors and lots of other people were there. And the they were looking for an old, experienced, private school head and before i even spoke to the chair of governors he took a look at me mm. there's five candidates he took a look at me and he said to the others i found this out subsequently just send the welsh boy home <laughs> wow just send the welsh boy home. wow and the vice chair of governors 
um, was not a Christian. She said, I've seen this assembly. Keep them in the mix just a bit longer. And the rest is history. And my wife, even though she didn't want to move to London she, in a in a quiet times, you know, uh, God drew near to it and said, this is the right thing to do. You know, she read things like Abraham, you know, leave your country, leave your family, leave your kindred. Um, I will bless you. And my, you know, my son was happy in school. And then we moved to London. And I was, that was a big upheaval. Um, and I was going to do my road trip around schools in London, private schools, state schools. And the private school had phoned me up, one of them phoned me up and said, Alan, I'd like to give your son a place at reduced rate. And I said, that's very kind. When we see each other again, let's talk. I looked at the fees and I thought, even if it was 50%, it's still a lot of money. You wow. know, you're talking about what, sort of £20,000 fees. And she said, no, let me be clear. You give me £500 in. Wow. And then completely separate to that, somebody, uh, an old man in our church in Cardiff handed me an envelope with £500 in it. Oh, wow. So it seemed that God was very much in it. And it's been hard. It's been difficult. But it seems that this is God's will. Mm. I made it clear in my interview, because I didn't know if I wanted it or not. If I come, which is going back to your question, really, um, if I come, I'm not going to come and set up a school which has got Christian principles, where people work hard and people are nice and people are kind and we all don't believe in bullying and we stand up for justice, because I would say every school's doing that. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, they should probably be closed down tomorrow. (laughs) I said, I fundamentally want to teach these boys what the Bible says Mm -hmm. and what Jesus Christ claimed. Not indoctrinate them, because we don't need to indoctrinate them. The Lord Jesus Christ preached opening the temple. He he, he asked over 300 questions. You know, when they arrested him, he said, why have you come in the dead of night? I talked openly. Mm. So we will do this. Ofsted, the power of education, come whenever you want. Look at whatever books you want. Mm. Talk to any parent and boy you want. We've got nothing to hide or be ashamed of. Mm. But we are going to say to these boys what the Bible says about everything, whether that is relationships, whether that is about creation, what about anything. And then we'll say, now question it, challenge it, wow. disagree with it, awesome. walk away with it. But if my boys end up in the lost eternity, they'll have pushed past a crucified Savior together. Because in seven years, they will meet him every single week. That's wonderful. It's striking. You talk about, I'm not going to indoctrinate them. I'm going to tell them, give them an alternative. It was something our friend Jeremy Marshall put up on social media the other day, a very interesting and observant quote, a Christian speaking to an unbeliever. The unbeliever's saying, why do you hate me? And the Christian says, no, I just believe that if you continue to go the way you're going, it's not going to be good for you. So why do you hate me? I'm just saying that this is not going to lead you into freedom. So why do you hate me? And he said, no, this isn't hate. I'm trying to tell you the way of life. And if you don't want it, I can't force it. But if someone doesn't understand the gospel, they presume that what you're saying is you must do this. Mm. And frankly, I think it, it, it hooks straight into, their, into a conscience, which says we've done wrong and there will be judgment. And they associate the Christians with the judgment. Like Jesus said, they hate me because their deeds mm. are evil. And they think, uh, they presume that we are the people who are out there saying, you have done evil. Whereas we're the ones who said, no, we did wrong, we needed a saviour. And if you're just authentically doing the gospel thing, it's the difference between an actual believer and kind of maybe the religious right or some kind of um, hardline um, Westfield Baptist guy who's trying to crush people with, with what should be winning them in love. Yeah. So what you're doing there is just simple Christianity. It's extraordinary that it should be considered radical now. First and foremost, it's a school. So it's not something just to peddle a religious ideology. The government gave us millions and millions of pounds. 
We've just moved into a brand new what, £40 million building. I have a responsibility if I'm going out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to make sure that that is an excellent school. So academically, the standards of behaviour, um, we've got to do it well. Mm. I bet, you know, every subject, what the Bible says about that subject is brought in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pastoral care is shaped by this Christian love. Mm. But yeah, first and foremost is a school and we have to be a very good school. Outstanding. That should be the way it is, isn't it? Some some do, be, do a Christian thing, they don't do it worse. Mm. They should be doing it better. Now, you come from South Wales where there has been this outstanding heritage of gospel influence. You think of uh, revivals. You even think of Lloyd-Jones speaking in, uh, in Sandfields. Is that South Wales, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. How far is that from where you were, Sandfields? So Sandfields is kind of um, sort of Port Talbot, sort of west. Um, so I, I guess it would be about 40 miles from where I grew up. Okay. So that, what is it, north of Swansea? It's towards Swansea. So it's, it's towards Swansea. So if you're going from Cardiff to Swansea, Port Talbot's on the way to Swansea. Okay. That's also where um, Richard Burton was from, and Anthony Hopkins, I believe, both, both from Port Talbot. Or you say Port Talbot. Port Talbot, yeah. Right. So you've seen an awesome church history in South Wales. Has there been anyone in particular who's encouraged, inspired you from your history or church history? I think, um, I think my hero is my dad, I'd have to say that. You know, there's, there's some people in church history who the world is their parish. For my dad, the parish was his world. Wow. And so he, he's done a lot of work with kind of the gypsy community, with MPs like Michael Foote. But Blyna Gwent was his world. And he loved the people. And, you know, my mum passed away, like I said, nearly two years ago. 600 people turned up because they're at the heart of the community. They love, they love the Lord Jesus Christ and they want to reach the community for him. And so, yeah, and, and just very unselfish you know, what my parents are in private, they were, what they were in public, they were in private. He always put my mum and my sisters and myself first, um, not materialistic at all. Mm. Yeah, so he would be one of my heroes, I think. Mm. I think that when I, I, I look at my dad and think, wow, you know, you are just, you've been in the same church for nearly 50 years and you've just got on with it. You know, and doing the kind of youth work, the Sunday school, getting the boys off the square and on on a Friday night, we've had alcoholics and drug addicts in our house, just this absolute love for people. Mm. And he instilled in me, you can have MPs or you can have people off a rough estate, you treat them all the same. Mm -hmm. A bloke's a bloke. Mm -hmm. Um, God doesn't look at the outward. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think he'd be one of my heroes. But, yeah, I mean, in, in church history, I think I, I think Martin Luther's one of my heroes <laughs> just because he was just just so gutsy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> just so gutsy. <laughs> and um, I, I love Athanasius. Oh, yeah. You know, if... Contramundum. When, you know, the whole world's against you, well, it's, it's Athanasius against the whole world then. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I, I love that kind of character. <laughs> Oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad you come to London then. We need some people like you <laughs> standing up against the darkness. Yes, that's you find that, don't you, in Luther? You, and, and the striking thing is, uh, it's interesting because the, the parallel, similarly, you're saying that with your dad and he puts your mum first, but he also he believes what the Bible says about yeah. men and women. And now, if you're saying, oh, I believe that men are equal with women in terms of value, but different in terms of role, people say, well, you must be evil. No, the people who believe that, they love their wives. Mm. The Bible says, love your wife like Christ of the church. And here's a man who says, he, he, he treated her, he treated her 
like a Christian treats his wife. He loved her. Mm. You know, and um, and he, when my mother was dying, we were in the hospital. Uh, an incredible time, my mother, when she, she was dying. You know, I, I went to I went to see her. I was on the way home to see my parents, and I was on the train. I, I fell asleep. I woke up. I had about twenty missed texts and calls of my dad. He said, "Don't come home. Mum's had a big stroke. Go straight to the hospital." And so I went into the hospital, and there she was. You know, she was kind of semi-conscious at that stage. She had a big stroke, and I I held her hand, and I knew this was it. Really, I knew it. So I held her hand, and I said, "Mum, I, I love you." She squeezed my hand, and I said, "I'm going to really miss you, ma'am." She squeezed my hand, and I said, "Ma'am, I, I just want to say thanks for everything." She squeezed my hand, and then I said to her, "Ma'am, keep trust in Jesus Christ," and she squeezed my hand, mm. and um, and we were three and a half weeks in the hospital, you know, when, when she was dying, and but I, I noticed even then how much my mum and dad were in love, <laughs> and we, you know, the five of us uh, would sing hymns, and. Really, it was, it was, you know, it, it, the, one of the saddest times of my life, but also one of the most special. Right? Yeah. There's a glory which people can't they can't see. My parents talked about being with people who are dying, and they said coming back to normal life seems, you know, what we have for dinner. I was just just yeah. on the edge of glory. <laughs> I can't yeah. talk about what's happened for dinner. You know, it's uh, yeah. There's something which it doesn't fit with any other category. Uh, and she died. She died at half past eleven on a Monday morning. And I always think to myself, you know, that morning she woke up, or she, you know, she was. And Christ whispered to her, didn't he? Today, you'll wow. be with me in paradise. Today, wow. you know, that's awesome. That's wonderful. But yes, and so you know, good old Luther there making his stand. That's a, what a, what an awesome example. But again, someone who's provoked by conviction about the gospel. If he hadn't seen it in the word, he'd still be there in a jolly monastery and we'd, we, you know, we'd be buying jolly indulgences and so on. But yes, convinced by what he sees in the text and then making a stand. Now we have, of course, a lot of heroes of church history in this city, Wilberforces and Spurgeons and so on. Have you, any of the London's particular heroes had any impact on you? Well, Spurgeon, I mean, we, like I, I said at the beginning, my, my job has changed. So I'm no longer the headmaster of Fulham Boys School. There's another, there's another head of school now uh, called Dave Smith, who's exceptional. He has shown me right up. He does the job much better than I ever did. <laughs> my job is more now trying to set up more schools like Fulham Boys School and bring in schools into our trust um, who will be built on the Christian faith. And that trust is going to be called the Charles Spurgeon School Trust. Wow. Because... I love Spurgeon. I mean, he clearly had a sense of humour, great preacher, um, but also this kind of care for the poor mm. and for educating the children of London. Mm. And so he kind of personifies what we're trying to do, getting the Christian gospel out there, but also with this kind of care for education and for helping people out. Um, I think that's very important. And, and reaching all groups in society you know the, the Fulham Boys School we've got 30% of our boys come from private school backgrounds yeah Gracious. they could go to any school in London they choose to come to us we're quite proud of that but equally we've got 40% living social deprivation and if you were to come to school which I, I hope one day you do you don't know who's who mm. because they're all meeting the same standards they're all wearing the same uniform they've all got the same opportunities and I think that is the gospel isn't it that mm. you that the gospel is no respected a person and it brings people together. Mm-hmm. Yes, they used to say of Spurgeon, they used to say, 
if the Metropolitan Tabernacle was to close down, all of London would mourn because everyone saw what they were doing. And now, strikingly, you've got pastors who are talking about cultural transformation. And people say, oh, I'm not so sure about that. Well, it's been done. Hmm. It's been done. <laughs> and Spurgeon, of course, do you think he was interested in the gospel? Of course, it's his thing, you know. But the, the gospel seems to have hands and feet. It seems to have, well, therefores stuck to it. And he also seems to have understood something of mobilizing people who are not all going to be little Spurgeons. It's like the, the, the body with different roles and so on. So you're actually naming your, your school after that. Just picking up what you said about um, these great preachers. They were great preachers, but they really loved people. Yes, yes. And I think that that is one thing maybe that's lacking today is this pathos. <laughs> so a lots of preachers can give, they're great on the text, they can explain things very well, but you have to have this pathos where you grab hold of people, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, the great preachers were accurate. Mm-hmm. They were the ones who were respected. But we now live in the age of your Pipers, and your Kellers, Mike Reeves and people. And when you hear them preach, your heart is warm. I said to Dick Lucas, what do you think about that? Dick Lucas says, yes, that is exactly what we need. Yeah. And here's a guy who's known for getting it right, you know, dotting I's, crossing T's. But when you hear Dick Lucas preach... You don't just go away thinking, oh, I'm glad he cleared that little controversy yeah. up. You see Jesus more clearly. Mm. And that's, that's, the, that's the, the medicine. <laughs> that's what the pastor's supposed to be, the food he's supposed to be giving to me as a, as a silly sheep. So what's new? What are you up to at the moment, Alan? We're trying to get this trust going. It's got lots of aims. One is uh, a goal that every school in our trust will be outstanding. And will transform young people's life, irrespective of their background. They're all cooperatives, so it's not my school or something. It belongs to the community. So we think our trust will be national, but we want it rooted in the local communities. So it's parents involved. 60% of our parents, like 98% supportive, 60% engaged. So it's their school. Um, Wow. We're doing, uh, obviously, a family of schools. We want to get lots of these schools up and down the country, whether they are state, private, mixed, primary, secondary. We just want them all over the place. We've got something called services where we help Christians in other schools who might not be part of our family of schools, but we help them and also help other schools. Global, so we work with schools in other countries with a similar ethos to ours, like we've been to Nicaragua. Um, we've got plans to go to Korea. Uh, Canada, um, Ethiopia, we, we want to build links globally to help them. Um, training, where we train teachers in our way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And voice, so we've had quite a lot of media coverage recently, you know, um, with the BBC, um, we've got CNN coming on Friday to school. I write now for the sort of national press and Christian press. So our our view of education is is out there. And one of the schools we're trying to set up is, is in East End. And uh, they are such an impressive group. They really are. And there seems to be a real need for a school in this part of London. So that's quite an exciting project. Mm. Um, we're just waiting for the government's latest kind of wave to open up so we can put a bid in. But I think that's quite exciting. And how could someone learn more about what you're doing there? Or do we have to wait for announcements in the press and so on? No, so we've got a website. We've got the Fulham Boy School website. There's the Charles Spurgeon website. Um, there's getting in touch with me. 
um, and we, we, you know, we is is people who you think, oh, I'd like to get a school like this in my area, or how can my church support you, uh, or, or maybe there's pe- pe- young people, what am I going to do in my future? Well, I would say the te- teaching is a huge mission field, mm. um, because you, you know, my chaplain, he preaches to eight hundred boys every week. <sighs> And at certain times of the year, he preaches to their parents as well. So there's thousands here in the gospel. And and if we had, you know, I think you can look at the world, in the, you can look at the state of the country and be all, oh, isn't it awful, isn't it terrible? And, you know, uh, or you can think, what an opportunity for the gospel to show its power. <laughs> and if we set up these schools, and if our voice is heard, and we do it as winsomely as we possibly can, who knows what God might do? Mm. Oh, that's outstanding. Yeah. One of the things we love to say on our walks is that the heroes of London's church history, they stand out from that typical thing of finding safety in criticism mm. and finding safety in caution, finding safety in aloofness. They found safety in the rock. Yeah. And there is a, there's a safe place. <laughs> if there's a hurricane, the safe place is actually in the heart of the thing. Mm. The people who have made a change, they know something of the fragrance of eternity. And they, they know something of the security of eternity. The, the, the people in London's church history who have, well, I'm sure the people in all of church history who have made a difference, they know something of the flavor. They know something of the fragrance of eternity to the extent that when the world says, what are you doing? Mm. They can tell you the reason for their hope. Think of Shaftesbury. You know? mm. I mean, when Shaftesbury died, they were going to put up a memorial for him in the busiest place in London so no one would ever forget him because of what an impact he made in London. This is unbelievers. And they're saying, no one can ever forget this man. And you say, well, and that is now known as Eros, the Shaftesbury Memorial Fountain. But here's a guy who said, you know, he was offered senior roles in government. And he said, no, I'm in the ministry for the for the homeless. I'm the minister, I'm the minister for the poor. I'm the minister for the match girls. I'm the minister for the people who live in the slums and so on. What are you doing? Hmm. Oh, he's changing the world. <laughs> he also says it's impossible. No man can persist in a life of generosity and virtue unless he's drinking from the fountain of our savior himself. And so you got to say these guys made a difference, not because of what they did, but because of what Jesus did. Hmm. Alan, I'm already picking up um, <laughs> encouragement and advice from you, but could I ask you gently, what advice would you give to people who are listening? I think two things I would say. We live in an, in an age of social media, and we live in an age of individualism where everybody thinks they know best. Mm. And I think that can sometimes come into the church. Mm-hmm. So there's a kind of... And I talk about myself, my generation, we, we seem to think, wow, you know, 2,000 years of church history is waiting for me to arrive. And we always want somebody new or uh, Brits want Americans, Americans want, we always want something. And I just think there's, a, there's an older generation of, of men and women that we need to be listening to, I think. I think Proverbs says, a wise son listens to his father. So I think we need to listen to that older generation. Wow. Because there's, there's something about that generation, isn't it? They've just plodded all these years and they're always in the prayer meeting mm-hmm. and they're in every meeting. Mm-hmm. And um, 
they don't really live for luxury or pleasure. They just get on with it. Right. I think we can learn a lot from them. Mm. Mm. I think the second thing I'd say really is, and I think this is my big thing, I guess, is that um, the Christian church can be crippled by fear. Mm. And the devil's got a lot of strongholds. But I don't think we should apologize for our message. Mm. I don't think we should be embarrassed by it. I don't think we should barricade ourselves in our churches. I don't think we should keep our children away from schools. I think that we should see this, and everything that's happened over the last 18 months in particular, see this as a time that Britain is ripe for the gospel. Wow. And, but, you know, I, we're trying to set these schools up and, and, and everyone's excited by it. But most Christians, when it comes to doing something, they'll say, hmm, we'll just pray for you. <laughs> we'll just pray for you. The Apostle Paul didn't, didn't just pray he traveled europe with the gospel mm-hmm. and i think there's a there's a need for us to to think you know if people ask me how i am i always say oh, i'm busy i'm busy you know i work six and hour days and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching on weekends and i'm writing and i'm doing this and i'm busy when i get to see god and he says to me how are you i won't say oh, i've been too busy i look at him and i say i should have done more I should have done more. And so uh, I think like the Apostle Paul says in Romans, you know, my advice to people is let's be confident in our message. Mm-hmm. Let's be as winsome as we possibly can be. So our message is offensive, are we not to be? But let's give it all we've got. Yes. In the time we have. That's awesome. That's outstanding. Can I ask you, uh, can I just d- develop the question slightly? You are an effective person who's managed to get things done could you just elaborate? I think that when I hear you say that, I'm thinking, yes, let's do something, but motivation without strategy. Has there been anything which you found to be helpful in getting things done? Do you find uh, something has helped you strategically? Is there someone who's spoken or a book you read? Or has there been a bit of advice which has changed the way you have become effective? Nothing in particular, but I think you just talk to lots of people, Christians and non-Christians. Very good. Um, you know, I think one of the people who've influenced the most is my previous head, Beth and Guilfoyle, because when I went there as an assistant head in Triorchy, I was quite good at sorting out naughty pupils. I was quite good with appearance, could get staff to follow me, but I didn't have a strategic body in my body. Hmm. And I remember saying to me, to some assistant head, she says, get out of your office and get around the place. Hmm. To me, she said, get in your office. And it was helpful. And so in those years, uh, I learned to be a strategist. And as you say, you know, you can be motivated. Come on, let's go and take on the world. But, but what but what then? And I think that, you know, it's important to plan and prepare and work out who needs to do what. But there's something for everyone to do. Right. I think. Yes. I can't do very much. Uh, I can talk a bit. I can lead a bit. Other people can do things much better than me. Okay. So I need to find those people. Okay. And I think that, you know, we're, we're setting up these schools. We're trying to set one in Wales, in East Park, and you've got people with real skills and talents. And at different times, you need to draw on them and say, right, you, you know, you, you've got a job to do now. And, and, and some of those jobs is just handing out leaflets, talking to people, you know, but everyone's got something they can do. Yeah, so it's working with teams, working with other people. Again, this is a gospel thing, isn't it? Outstanding. This has been fantastic. I'm so grateful for you to come, and uh, thanks, thanks for coming to London. We needed you. <laughs> we needed someone else to say, I can't do it. <laughs> but the Lord can. 
And uh, thanks for giving us your time talking this afternoon. It's an absolute pleasure. For more episodes of the Christian Heritage London podcast and for information on Christian Heritage London events, tours and walks, please go to christianheritagelondon.org.